Good morning, Liberty. I feel like I've got a Mother's Day gift. You've got a new microphone here. I feel a little bit like uh, Michael Jackson, but I won't try any moonwalking, I promise you. Okay. Right, how's everyone doing? You good? Okay. I'm, I don't know about you, I'm loving autumn, I'm loving this weather. No wind, bit of sunshine, bit cool at night. It's nice. It's nice and snug. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms and to the spiritual moms as well. You don't have to be a physical mother, spiritual mom, but giving and giving and giving. I'm so grateful to you all, so thank you so much. Um, so we want to spend the next season looking at our inner emotional world. Um, now, I think a couple of years ago, I don't think I could spell emotion. Uh, never mind know what's really happening inside of me. Um, praise God for my wife. She's helped me learn some things about myself, and that's, that's been really good. So <clears throat> we're going to be spending some time looking at our inner emotional world. And remember, God's, God's made us not just spiritual beings, but physical beings as well. And with physical being comes emotion and psychological and, and all of those things. And so we're going to um, be working through a video series every sort of alternating week. Um, and then in between those, we're going to be spending some time looking at the Psalms. And what I love about the Psalms is you get the super highs and the super lows and everything in between. And it's deeply emotional and psychological and there's anxiety and there's joy and it's just it's everything in between. And what, is, what does that look like when it's directed by faith? Right? What, is, what, is, what is that supposed to do? What can it be like? When faith is involved. And so I'm really looking forward to um, this next little patch that I think God's got us in. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited to uh, jump into a psalm today. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit surprised at the psalm I really think God's highlighted for us this morning. So I'm going to be sharing with you Psalm 131. So please, if you have your Bibles, an app, get your eyes on it. it the good news is it's three verses. That's it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my stopwatch here as well. To, there we go. Okay, so I've got an alarm that's going to go. Psalm 131. <clears throat> my ESV translation has a little uh, title to it. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Does anyone else have a, a different title? A song of a sense? Anything else? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Okay, so a song of a sense and of David. So King David has written it. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. How many of you are sitting there going, okay, where are we going with this? It's a bit of a strange psalm. I'll be honest, I've read over this tons of times and just never particularly taken note of it. So can I just press a pause here? Let's rewind. Let's just read this again. Let's just let this sink in. It's three verses. I think God wants to do something. Oh Lord, my heart 
is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Okay, so, so it's, it's David who's written the psalm. It's King David, king of Israel, the king of Israel, most famous king, super warrior guy. He's the guy who beat Goliath. He's the guy that the young women of Israel are singing songs about his military escapades and how many thousands of people he's killed. He is like the top dog, CEO. He, he's like, you know, he's the big guy. He's got lots of stuff on his plate, all the politics, all the busyness, all the people to please, all the stuff that's happening. And then he writes this. I think that that gives us some really great perspective. He, he's certainly not saying, look, don't have any plans, you know, just trust God. He'll make, he'll make it happen. That's not where he's going with this. But of all the things that could be occupying him in the busyness, and he's able to say, I'm trusting in God. I love that. I think the psalm is about trust. And so three verses, three little points I want to make. Number one, ground yourself. Number two, wean yourself. Number three, trust in God. Ground yourself, wean yourself, trust in God. So verse one, if you've still got your Bibles there, have a look. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Maybe another translation could say, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not raised too high or not too arrogant. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now the language here is very lofty and up, right? I'm, I'm not so up there. I mean, if anyone can be up there looking down, surely King David, you know, surely top dogs. Surely the guys who've made it to the top. Surely people who've got good success. And David saying, no, I'm not going to be up there. I'm not going to let myself be raised up. But I'm choosing to humble myself and to be grounded. It's so easy to fall into pride. Hey, it's so easy. I mean, there, there are some sins that the Bible talks about that it's kind of obvious. You know, I can see it. I can hear it. It just, pride, it can give itself away, but it can also be very subtle and very hidden. Pride can sneak in on your career. How are you doing in your work? You climb the ladder. You're looking. It's very easy to look down on someone when you've succeeded and, and you're, you know, bottom person. It's very easy to look down on someone in terms of, Parenting, no, their children, because you know we do, uh, them. Are they, they've ah uh, up my pocket. There we go. Thank you. It's very easy uh, to look at the success of your children and look down on someone else. It's very easy to uh, how many children have they got? They 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 haven't. They're not choosing to have children, right? And, and suddenly parenting, and we can start to look down on other people. It's very easy to look down on other people when you've worked really hard to be good, right? And, you know, you've, you've kept your marriage together and, and you 
don't do those things and you do these things and you look down on those people that, you know, things just fell apart and shame, you know, those, those poor people. We're looking down on them. And that pride just sneaks in there very, very quickly. Right? Money. You've got money. It's easy to look down on people who don't have money. You don't really. No, of course I don't. But, but actually there's a oh, shame mentality. There's a, you know, I've worked really hard for what I've achieved and what I've done. And, you know, obviously they're just not working hard or they're not working smart. It's very easy if you don't have money to be proud and look down on people who do have money. You know, those people. It's, how can you drive that car with a conscience? Can you buy that? How many houses have you got? And we can look down and we can judge people. It's a form of pride. It just sneaks in there. And so David, top dog, if anyone is able to say, okay, look, I've actually arrived. I have done a couple of things that are pretty good. Can we just be honest about this? I don't know. He's, he's not claiming those things for himself, is he? But he's humbling himself and he's grounding himself. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18, Paul says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Right? Trusting in the cross of Christ is foolishness. It's crazy. You're going to give your life away for what? Uh, how often have we heard stories where parents despair that their children found religion? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, put all your studies and the work and, and I'll hope for them. And we want you to get a good job and earn some good money and have a good family. And you're just giving it all away for religion. It seems bizarre. I mean, what kind of a mentality do you have that to gain your life, you have to lose it? It's crazy talk, right? You want to win, come last. It's crazy people. And yet that is, that is the wisdom of God. And so humbling ourselves doing things that seem foolishness, not owning, not taking, not grasping these things and saying, actually, God, I'm just going to come right back down to earth and I'm going to ground myself in the gospel. I want to ground myself on Jesus Christ. I want to build my life on the rock. I want to put into practice the teachings of Jesus and give and serve and humble myself kind of easy if you come from humble backgrounds but what happens if you if you're in circumstances that actually people think you're great people keep telling you that you're great you know, humble yourself oh lord my heart is not lifted up my eyes are not raised too high we're up here i do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me what a wonderful example of grounding ourselves but secondly let's wean ourselves and this is this is really why i want to spend a little bit of time verse two but i have calmed and quieted my soul my soul is my living being my self my person with its desires and its passions and its appetites and emotions i've calmed and quieted all of that Okay, your, your desires and your passions, your appetites, your emotions feel quiet to you? Because mine do not. 
quieted, calmed them like a weaned child with its mother. Right, so if, if, you, if you haven't had a baby before, uh, this analogy might be a little bit lost on you. But if you've seen breastfeeding children, right, this, this gets wild, right? You, you have that child and it comes to mom and it's the arms start going, flailing and the head's going and even the, the, the breathing, it starts to get frantic. <laughs> I mean, Lindsay and I have been in hysterics so many times. It gets frantic, like, okay, dude, just relax. The milk is coming. Calm your farm. <laughs> Moms, I just want to say a quick little thing. In this analogy, right, the, the child represents us. Who does the mom represent? It's God. Yeah. The mom represents God. There is something about moms and the love and the care and the dedication and the sacrifice and the service that totally represents God. And God's able to say, this is like you and me. And so what a, what a privilege, moms. What you do is worthy of representing God. There is an attribute and a character of God that totally represents Him. Thank you. Thank you for, for all that you do. And so, so we've, we've got a breastfeeding child. Now remember, we, we don't have purity, you know, like mixing stuff up. We don't have formula and bottles. We're talking several thousand years ago. You went from breast milk and you went to solids. And so that weaning process maybe wasn't quite as a nice, easy transition for us today. And so an unweaned child, a breastfeeding child, when held to mom, has something on their mind. Milk, give me milk, give it to me now. I want to be satisfied now. And things start to get frantic. Contrast with a weaned child is able to be held by mom and find peace and comfort and closeness without the frantic, I need something. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you have not experienced frantic breastfeeding children and you're just a little bit lost. I don't know, my kids got silly. Right, and so David comes in with humility. He comes to God and a desire to draw near to God, not to get something from God, but to be with God. God is not the means to something. God is simply the end. It's not the means to the end. It's being with God for the sake of God himself. There's an amazing contrast there with the mom and child able to be at peace. And, and David saying, God, you are my peace. You are my satisfaction. You are my comforts. You are my joy. I love to be close with you. Right, so second line in verse 2. He repeats it like a weaned child. Is my soul within me? Right? It's repeated for emphasis. So let's emphasize this. Let's, let's let this analogy sink in a little bit here. The text is trying to tell us something. Is a child happy when it's in its weaning phase? No. No, not happy. Want milk? Not getting milk. Right? Um, does the denial of milk mean mom does not love baby? No, no. Rather, mom knows that this is important for growth. 
This is important for development of baby. This is good for baby. Now, from baby's perspective, this is not pleasant. This is confusing. This is a battle. This is a struggle. I will not eat your solid food. I want milk. You know, and they start to like put their foot down. This is not pleasant. But as parents, we know that this is necessary for their growth. And so what David wrote here was about contentment that's probably come through those frustrations. Like a weaned child. God, you've, you've weaned me. It's frustrating. It's vulnerable. It's confusing. Don't you love me anymore? What have I done wrong? Hey, doesn't it feel like punishment? God, why are you punishing me? No, I, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. God, are you weaning me? What are you doing here? Milk feels indispensable, but it makes way for something greater. That, sorry, Linz, I'm going to share the story. I was telling Linz this last night. So I said, milk makes, makes way for something greater. She says, yeah, steak. <laughs> okay, some of you are like, chocolate. Okay, milk makes way for something greater. God sometimes takes us through seasons of weaning to make way for something greater, doesn't he? Something feels indispensable. Yeah. I must have it, God. I'm going to die. No, you won't. No, I won't. One commentator, he writes, Wind from what? Self-sufficiency, self-will, self-seeking, from creatures and from the things of this world, not indeed as to their use, but to as any dependence upon them for happiness and portion. Okay, so we've got some old school English, right? Let's just... Paraphrase that, weaned not from the use of things, but from dependence upon them for happiness. Yeah. That's not going to take away cell phones just because cell phones are evil, but if you need it, or maybe your dependence upon it, your fulfillment, I, I don't know, I'm picking on cell phones, whatever it is for you. No, husbands and wives, you can't point at one another now. That's not, <laughs> you can see some of those fingers. Right, so when God allows things or circumstances in our life that wean us from things that we've relied on, don't despise that. Right? Embrace it. Doesn't that sound crazy? Right? Embrace hardship. Embrace trauma. No. Right? Charles Spurgeon writes, Blessed are those afflictions which subdue our affections, which wean us from self-sufficiency, which educates us into Christian manliness or adulthood, which teach us to love God, not merely when he comforts us, but even when he tries us. I have to say, I'm a little bit scared to share this message because the good Lord is going to say, right, weaning time. Okay. So weaning as confusing, as difficult, as vulnerable as it may be, ultimately brings us to deeper satisfaction and dependence on God, sure. doesn't it? Yeah. Teaches us to trust in Him 
and not in his gifts. So, we need to ground ourselves, come back down to earth, ground ourselves on Jesus, wean ourselves, and finally trust in God. Verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. O Israel, is, is this a call for a nation? Is this a call for a little, you know, a flag over a country? Right? Does this apply to Christians? Why does this apply to Christians and not to the nation just of Israel? So a quick Bible history reminder. Long time ago, there was a man by the name of Abraham. And all of humankind had pretty much forgotten about God. And God meets with Abraham and makes a covenant with him, makes a promise. God wants to fix a broken world through all of his offspring, through a nation. And he promises Abraham that he would have more offspring than there are stars in the sky. And that all nations would be blessed, right, through these offspring of his. God wants to work in a broken world and he wants to bring redemption through this people. Great. Well, the problem was... No son came. No children came. And they got super old. No babies. None. It's impossible. But it's not impossible with God. So his wife Sarah does fall pregnant. And they have this child. The child of the promise of God. Isaac. And then Isaac has children. has Jacob. And Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And, and God renames him Israel. And we've got Abraham Isaac, Jacob, that becomes Israel. And of course, Jacob, Israel, has all these children. And the whole nation of Israel comes from them. And so does this call, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, is that just for the descendants of Abraham? Romans 9 verse 6, Paul says, Not all who are descended from Israel are actually Israel. And verse 8 it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Galatians 3 verse 7, understand that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. There is a spiritual aspect to this. When you put your faith in Christ, you become one of the children of the promise. And so when we are called, O Israel, put your hope in God, children of the promise, children of faith, followers of Jesus, put your hope in God. God's plan wasn't for a physical bloodline, but a people of a new bloodline of Jesus. We have been born again. We have a new belonging, a new family. And so God is the God of the promise. And we are as children. Now, put your hope in this God. What is it that you and I put our hope in? One day, we're all going to stand at the doorway to eternity. Is your business sufficient for that? What you've studied, is that sufficient? For eternity, your parenting, is that sufficient? Your goodness, you didn't get divorced, you looked after your elderly parents, 
You were kind to people in the lift on the way up. What, what is it that you are putting your hope in in the doorway to eternity? So R.T. Kendall's the great preacher, he, he used to tell a story, I just, or a little analogy. I love this analogy. He says, one day when you die and you go to heaven and you stand at the pearly gates and St. Peter is there at the pearly gates and he says, tell me, I've got one question for you. Tell me, why should I let you into heaven? What will you answer? Now, I know the analogy is not perfect, but it's a very revealing analogy. Why is it? What, what, what do you think? makes us deserving to spend an eternity with God in his new creation, in his new heavens, new earth, all things made right, walking in the garden, paradise with God for all eternity. What right have you got to be there? Tell me, what will you say? I was nice to people in the lift. I looked out, and there are many good things that we can cite. The problem is that there's also many bad things that we can cite. My heart was full of pride. So easy to look down on other people. I, I loved things or people more than I loved God. I, I have not loved my neighbor as myself. In fact, I have not purposefully allowed myself to come last so that others can come in before me. What right do we have to say, yes, Lord, I'll spend an eternity with you. We have none, zippo, nada, nothing. And then we have Jesus, who takes our sin upon himself and therefore takes our punishment for us. What a, a horror that that is what our sin actually deserved. What a horror that undeservedly Jesus takes that upon himself. For us. And what a joy that Jesus' perfection, his right standing with God, his right relationship with God gets attributed to us. And so if you are going to stand there one day at the pearly gates answering St. Peter, I'm pretty sure that's not how it's going to happen. But if, if, if that's what it's going to be, what are you going to put your hope in? Jesus. If you are a child of the promise, if you've put your faith in Christ and you've trusted and hoped in him, you have every right to spend eternity with God. It's not your right, it's Jesus' right, but he gave it to you. There is nothing that you and I bring to that table. Zero hope in me. No hope in me. No hope in my pastor. No hope in Anglican bishops. No hope in... What is it that you're putting your hope in? We have none. Except to hope in Jesus. Trust in him. That's amazing. Israel, children of faith, the children of the promise. Put your hope in God. What a wonderful message we have to be able to share with people. What a wonderful question to be able to ask people and say, what are you, what are you trusting in? What are you hoping in? What right do you have? Because I've got none. I have no pride. You know, it's so frustrating for me. It's so frustrating for me. And people say, but Christians are so arrogant. How is it possible when I'm drowning in the ocean and someone stands on a ship and throws, what's that life boy? Throws that out there. And it drags me out because I was drowning. 
And I get into the ship and I say, look at all these drowning people. What's wrong with you? That, how does that work? It can't be. It cannot be. I am not, we cannot be proud about because I am a great Christian. No, I'm a terrible Christian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saved and rescued and my hope is in God. And so we must, must ground ourselves in Jesus. Humble ourselves. Wean, allow God to wean us. Wean ourselves so that we can trust in Him. Let's put our hope in the Lord. And so what I'd, I'd love for you to do, it's, it's three verses. And I really, I, I feel like God's wanting to speak to us from this. And so I'd like to invite you for just a, a couple of minutes, whether it's by yourself, person next to you, groups, I don't know how you would like to do it. But I would love to invite you to open this psalm, read it together and pray together for a couple of minutes. What has God highlighted to you? Is it the humility? Is it the weaning? Is it something else? What are you hoping in? I don't know. Please respond in prayer and in, in, in the week as we go ahead, spend some time in this. God, what are you wanting to say? In some ways, I still think, what a strange song. And yet, if we just let that sink in, isn't it deeply powerful and encouraging, wonderful? So Father, help us to pray. As we engage with your word, would you please speak to us? God, thank you that you are alive and that you speak. Please speak to us as we pray now in Jesus' name.